Amen. All right, turn with me to Daniel chapter number two once again. We're going to go a little dip deeper into Daniel chapter number two. How many of y'all are glad to be saved? Find your seat, lady, find your seat. I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. Uh, Griggs, I, I was going to pick on that one, but you know, that other Griggs, he's kind of tender, you know, he's kind of sensitive and everything, so... All right. All right. Now we're going to, I hate doing it this way because it's just not my typical way of doing things. But uh, tonight we're going to, we're going to cover a lot of information. So I'm going to have to do more reading than normal. And, uh, but it's really, really good stuff and you'll be glad you heard it. All right. So, uh, so if y'all can put up with just a little bit more reading than normal tonight, say amen. amen. All right, let's do it. Daniel chapter number two. And uh, let's get to verse number 27. We're going to just go more into depth into the dream itself and uh, what was going on with that. All right. Daniel chapter two in verse 27. When you find your place, say amen. amen. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven. How many of y'all enjoyed that part last week? Yeah, that was good. Amen. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. That's the key. That's the key. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, this is what started it. This is what got it all going. He said, king, you were sitting on your bed the thoughts come into your mind, what's going to come to pass hereafter? He is a very wealthy man, a very powerful man. He has his own kingdom and he's wondering what in the world is going to take place. What's going to come after? How is this going to end? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible, meaning it was it was it was frightening. It was a it, it was just. And keep in mind that this happened. This this happened over and over. This was not just a one-time event. It was a dream. He kept happening. He kept seeing. It says in, in verse thirty-two, this image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver. His belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. That's what you saw, King. And now we're going to tell you what it means. This is the interpretation thereof. Thou, O King, art a King of Kings. For the God of heaven, that is key. That is key. You didn't get this by yourself, King. The God of heaven, the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. 
And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh in all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes uh, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed in the miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven set up a kingdom. He's going <laughs> to, he's going to set up one that's not going to be taken away. Amen. Which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand. Say it with me forever. forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege and the honor it is to be here tonight. Thank you for everybody that's here. Another great crowd tonight. Uh, Lord, they came to learn and to grow and, and to discern your word tonight. And I pray that they will not leave disappointed. I pray tonight that we can glean and we can understand and uh, Lord, we can anticipate what you're going to do in the very, very near future. I pray that your perfect will be done. Thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And God, I pray that you'll get all the glory out of tonight. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. Don't let me forget anything I should. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> Look at the very first verse. Look at the very first verse. You, you all right, buddy? You've been drinking more than Gatorade? All right. Matthew, deal with that. All right. Deal with that. All right. Look at the very first verse on your notes. Look at the very first verse on your notes. Luke 21. Luke 21, uh, let me put my glasses back on, 24. I apologize. <clears throat> All right. Luke 21, 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Now read it with me. Until. Everybody say it. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Tonight, we're going to talk about the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. Uh, we, we know, we know, just a brief, brief review. I, I know there's some new people here tonight. Uh, uh, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, is the king of Babylon. They have came and they have conquered Jerusalem they have taken captive uh, uh, Israelites who are now slaves in captivity. And, and Daniel, we know Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all went through a training and a development in, in all of the arts of the Babylonians. And now they are part of the wise men. We all, we all remember that. Uh, and, and now the king has dreamed a dream. And he, he is really bothered by this dream. He's really troubled by this dream. And he wants to know what it's about. It keeps happening. It keeps reoccurring. So he knows there's something very significant about this dream. And he needs to know what it is because it's bothering him. And so he calls in his magicians. He calls in his soothsayers. He calls in all of his uh, people who are supposed to be able to do this. And obviously we know they, they didn't have the ability to do it. They could not. They could not. 
uh, tell him what his dream was or decipher or give the interpretation thereof. But we know that there's a God in heaven. And he revealed it to Daniel and Daniel is able to not only tell him the dream that he had. Now, why do you think, why do you think that Daniel was able to tell him the dream that he had? Because God told Daniel what it was. That's not hard to understand, right? Now, now, how did, how did God is the one that gave it to the king to begin with? Are y'all with me? The king, according to Daniel, what we just read, the king was sitting on his, on his bed. He's been contemplating the future, contemplating what's going to happen to him, what's going to happen to his family, what's going to happen to the kingdom, what's going to happen next, you know, which is not, not nothing bad or sinful in itself. He's wondering what in the world is going to take place. Well, God says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to show you what's going to happen And in this chapter, we see an incredible, incredible prophetic utterance of what the future was going to hold. You got to understand, we're looking back. We're looking back. We have, we have secular books that tell us about the Roman empire that tell us about Alexander the great that tells us about Darius and the Medes and the Persians. It tells us about, are y'all with me? We can go, we can go right now to Iraq and look at some, some diggings and some, uh, 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 ruins left from the Babylonian empire. We can see that all that happened, but Daniel was looking this way and God was telling him about things that had not taken place yet, was not even a thing yet. He said, this is what's going to happen. Somebody say, amen. And now, so what I want to do is talk about this period of time of these, this image had basically four kingdoms and and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Do y'all still have that picture from last week by, by chance? Uh, let's put that, let's put that on the screen. If if you can find that, uh, this is the image. This is a, an artist's rendition of what the image in his dream would have looked like a statue, the head, what's the head made of? Gold, then the arms and the, in the chest, silver, and then uh, the belly and thighs, bronze, right? The brass there, uh, the legs of iron, the feet of iron and clay. And then we see the crushing rock. I didn't, I knew we wasn't going to get time for the crushing rock today. So I saved him for next time. All right. Uh, cause I want to spend all the time and that is the Lord say amen. But anyway, anyway, uh, we have this dream, we have this image, and this represents a period of time in humanity, a period of time in the life of humanity on this earth, which is referred to by Jesus as the times of the Gentiles. Now, in order, in order to really understand the times of the Gentiles, we're going to have to look before and look at the times before the Gentiles. Are y'all with me? And how God operated and how, what God's initial plan, and, 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 and that's, a, that's a weak way of saying that. What God intended, he knew what was going to happen and he, he, had, he can change anything. Say amen. He can use, he doesn't endorse wickedness, but he can change it to accomplish his purpose. All right. But what was God's purpose for the nation of Israel? What was God's purpose for them being called out, being designed and, 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 and built up as a nation and brought to the promised land? Let's look at it. All right. Because once we see that, then the times of the Gentiles are, is going to make a whole lot more sense. Okay. So let's start here. 
Let's start here at the top of our page. And there, like I said, there's several verses that we're going to look at. Uh, uh, and so we'll, we'll get into the outline. We jump on the back. All right. Exodus 25, eight, Exodus 25, eight. Let's look what God told the children of Israel to do. All right. And let's read it. Verse eight and let them make me a, a sanctuary, a place to dwell, right? A place to, to inhabit. All right. That I may. Now this is God speaking. He's telling Moses, I want y'all to make me a sanctuary. And we know that ended up being the tabernacle, the temporary tent of meeting that went up and down as they would travel through the wilderness, right? He said, I want you to make me a place that I can inhabit with you here on earth. This is God who spoke the world into existence speaking. Is everybody with me? Say amen. amen. Now, now you say, well, what, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean inhabit or, or dwell? Isn't God everywhere? Yes. But he's not manifesting himself everywhere. He is omnipresent, but we can't see him. Are y'all with me? I know he's everywhere. He was here before we got here. He'll be here after we leave and he'll be at our house before we get there. At the same time. That's our God. But there were times in history when he would manifest himself where you could see the manifestation of him. Are y'all with me? In other words, you would know when he's in the temple and when he wasn't. Does that make sense? Now watch, this is going to get good. It's going to get good. It's gooder than good. Amen. (laughs) Exodus 29, 45. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. Read it with me. That I may... I am the Lord, their God. All right. Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord who the Lord Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. That's the manifestation. That's the part you could see. That's when you knew God was there. You saw the what? The cloud to lead them the way. And by night in a pillar of what? Fire to give them light to go by day and night. You see, sometimes they traveled at night and he was manifesting himself. They knew he was there. They could. And, and they say, well, you know, it was it could, could they really see the fire? You could see it for miles. No doubt. You knew God was there in the day. He was there by cloud in the night by fire. Now watch Leviticus 16, Leviticus 16, 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, speak unto Aaron, thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark that he die not for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Now, if y'all remember just a little, little brief review, if y'all remember that they had the tabernacle, right? They had the court, the outer court, you came and you had, um, you had the, the, the brazen laver. The, the, the part where they would wash, they would wash, they would have the altar there in the outer court. But then you would go into the holy place, go through the curtains and go into the holy place. In the holy place, you would have the table of showbread, you would have the altar of incense, and you would have uh, 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 the, the golden candlestick. And no, no light from outside, no natural light could, could, was allowed in the holy place. Only 
the fire and light from the golden candlestick, which represented the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember, y'all remember when, when Jesus was talking uh, to the church of Ephesus in, in Genesis, or excuse me, Genesis, I have a whole other end of the Bible, Revelation. In Revelation chapter number two, he's talking to the church of Ephesus and he said, uh, 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 you've left your first love. Y'all remember that? He said, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do thy first works or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place. And he's talking about, he's not, he's not talking about a literal physical candlestick. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in the work of the church there. And so you come into the holy place, but then you go next through the next curtain, the next veil, the next veil, and you end up in the holy of holies. That's where he's talking about in this verse. In the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant. And on the top of the ark of the covenant is the the mercy seat. Preacher, what are you saying? That was God's throne on earth with his people where he manifested his presence with his people. His glory was there and his glory. uh, uh, Most commentators, Bible scholars call it the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God, the shimmering light, the brilliant light that could be seen for miles. God was truly dwelling with his people here on earth. Are y'all staying with me? Now watch. It's important. Keep reading. All right. There came a time to dedicate this tabernacle, this temporary dwelling place, this tent, if you will. Numbers 9, 15. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared, this was after they got all the materials together, got all of it put together, made and built. They're putting it up uh, to, to institute it. It says, when the tabernacle was reared up, the, help me, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of testimony. And at even, at even, there was upon the tabernacle as it was the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by and the appearance of fire by Now, what is that telling those people? God is with us. You you remember, we're going to remember a lot of things because it's just coming to my mind. Remember when they came out of, when, when they came out of Egypt and, and, and they were going through the wilderness and, and, and they got ignorant, went on God and just was being disobedient. And, 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 and God told Moses, y'all go on ahead. Y'all going ahead, go to the promised land. I'm not going. And Moses said, "Uh uh-uh. If you ain't going, I ain't going. See, Moses knew, Moses knew without God, we don't have a prayer. Without God, we don't have a chance. It's God's presence with them that made them who they were. They didn't have the ability on their own. They didn't have the, the, the talent on their own. They didn't have the power, the strength, or the resources on their own. There was something significant that God, the God of the universe, the God who spoke this world into existence was manifesting himself in a visual form where you knew God was there. His glory filled that tabernacle. Now watch. There came a time we're skipping ahead. We're skipping ahead. We got the fast forward button, skipping ahead. 
Now they have a permanent, they have a permanent temple. This is Solomon's temple. And they move from the temporary uh, uh, tabernacle that they could take up and down and travel with. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, the, the permanent, it's Solomon's temple. Are y'all following me so far? Amen. Now watch this, watch this. This is the dedication of Solomon's temple. Second Chronicles chapter five, verse 13. And it came even to pass that as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in the praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. All right. Now what's happening? They're worshiping, they're praising, they're glorifying God. They're bragging on God. They're praising him. What does the Bible say about praising God? That God inhabits the praises of Israel. That when you praise him, he will show up. Are y'all with me? And so they're praising him. Guess what he does? He shows up. It says, then, then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. The glory, his presence, the manifestation of his presence it filled the temple. And, and <laughs> if you go look at that word minister, it said the priest had to leave the temple. And the word minister means to contribute. In other words, when God showed up, there wasn't nothing they could contribute. Y'all get that later. Nothing else needs to be done. They have nothing to add to the service when God shows up. And his glory was there. Man, can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine being in that worship service? Can you imagine being in the crowd surrounding the temple as they're all singing and they're all worshiping? Then all of a sudden a cloud fills the temple. And the manifest glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God fills the place. And listen, you not only have a house of God there now, you have God in the house. Man, what a, that's, what had been great to be there. Man, what a worship service. And what a privilege. What, what a privilege to know when you was walking by the temple, God's in there. I know he's everywhere, but he's shown up in there. The, 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 the high priest could only go in once a year or they would die. His presence was that powerful and that mighty and they couldn't even go in there without blood. Once a year, the Passover, y'all remember? And not only that, when they got, when they got in from the holy place before they went into the holiest of holies, that, that altar of incense, that they had to put incense on there and let that smoke fill before they went in there, the glory of God would kill them. Yep. It was incredible. Right. How was it possible 
to erect idols in the temple. And be as wicked and rebellious as the children of Israel were with God in the temple. So preacher, what are you getting at? The time come that God had his fill of their disobedience. He had been prophesying and prophesying and telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them. Jeremiah the prophet was one of them. You're going to go into captivity. And that captivity is going to be 70 years. You see, every seven years, on the seventh year, they could farm the land for six years, but on the seventh, they had to leave it dormant. Not only did they have a Sabbath of the first day of the week that they were to rest, but they were supposed to let the land rest. Are y'all with me? Every seventh year, you could not farm. I mean, that's, this makes good sense now. You got to let the land build back up, the minerals and all of that. See, God knew all that stuff, but they were disobedient. 490 years, they went without a, a land Sabbath. You know what God said? For every year you disobeyed. I'm going to keep you in a place where you can't farm the land. And this land is going to rest 70 years. Guess how long they were in captivity? Now watch, here's the deal. Their disobedience has, has come to the full. God, now keep in mind, the primary players on the planet is the nation of Israel. God dealt with nations, specifically a nation. They were the main player. They were the big dog on the block. People would come from miles around and nations from miles. Listen, they could not believe the glory and the splendor and the wonder and the rumors of all that was in Israel. You remember when the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon? Said the half has not been told. But you know what really blew her mind? It was, it was, it was. It was amazing that she, she sat there and because you remember he had supernatural wisdom. Y'all do remember who I'm talking about, right? Solomon had a supernatural wisdom given him by God. And, and he answered all her questions and told her her questions that blew her mind. He took her to his palace and that, that, that blew her mind. But when he took her to the house of God, she'd been in temples all over the world. And there's been some magnificent temples all over the world, but she ain't never been in one with a glory cloud in it. And according to scripture, it took her breath away. God was operating through his people, the nation of Israel. Now, what is the title tonight? Everything we've covered so far, he's operating through who? Israel. Israel, not the Gentiles. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the terms, a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. 
You have the nation of Israel who's been called out from all the rest of the world. All the rest of the world are Gentiles. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Now watch what happens. <clears throat> W.A. Criswell, W.A. Criswell said, it was God's purpose that the administration of government and the representative of religion of the whole earth be centered in his what? Chosen, Chosen people who are Israel. Basically, it's another way of saying God wanted to rule the world through the nation of Israel. God wanted to lead. It would be like a theocracy that God's representative people would reveal to the world who he was. It was God's further purpose that their king should be the incarnate son of heaven himself and that he should reign upon his throne in Zion in Jerusalem and that from him should flow all out all the blessings of mankind. He gave that promise to David, remember? Yeah. And I want to go into all that because I've done way, way too long on this intro. But he promised David that there would be somebody from his line that would rule forever. Yeah. And he was in reference to Jesus Christ. Amen. Now watch what happens. In 592 B.C., you remember what we talked about? God said when, you, when he brought the nation, let's, let's retract real. He brought the nation out of Egypt. He said, build me a, a sanctuary that I may dwell with you. My manifest glory, my presence is going to be there. And it was there in the wilderness. It was there in the tabernacle. When they finally built Solomon's temple, the permanent place, the permanent sanctuary, the permanent dwelling, it was there. But something's fixing to change. Because of their wickedness, their idolatry, their disobedience to the land, the disobedience in how they treated the poor. Look, look what happens. In 592 BC, Ezekiel saw the glory of God. What? Leave the temple. Leave the holy city. And ascend to Bethany on the Mount of Olives. The departure of God's glory from the temple was solemnly narrated by the prophet Ezekiel, who was among the captives by the river of Chabar. Ezekiel went the second round. You remember I, I told you there were three different times that Nebuchadnezzar came or the, the, the Babylonians came. Daniel and his friends were taken the first time. Ezekiel was taken the second time. And so Ezekiel is prophesying to exiles in exile. Are y'all with me? And he is seeing the glory. See, the temple was still up at the time that he was captured. The, the walls were still up. The temple was still up. But he begins to see a vision. And it's the glory of God departing from the temple. The departure of God's glory from the temple is solemnly narrated by the prophet Ezekiel. Who was among the captives by the river of Chabar. You'll see that in Ezekiel 1.1. Step by step, the glory of God departs slowly from his house. Seen in a vision by the prophet manifesting the reluctance of God to leave the midst of his people where he had dwelled. The glory left the holiest of all and departed the threshold of the house. Then it departed from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. At the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the last sight of the divine glory at the time of his departure is when the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mount, which is on the east side of the city. That's the Mount of Olives toward Bethany. 
What did Ezekiel see? God's glory departed. Times was fixing to change. 586 B.C. Right after the vision, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. Completely destroyed. The glory had departed the temple. God's manifest presence had left the earth. Even when the second temple was rebuilt, even when the second temple was rebuilt in its place after the return, remember when they came back and, and they built another temple, but it was very, it was very small compared to the first temple in its magnificence and in, in its, in its beauty and its, 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 its uh, uh, wealth. They laid the foundations and the Bible said that the old men wept and the young men shouted. Preacher, what was that all about? You see, those old men that came back from captivity, they remembered the first one. They remembered Solomon's temple. They remembered Solomon's glory. They remembered Solomon's extravagance. They remembered, hey, the cloud. Those young men, they hadn't ever experienced it. They probably were born and grew up in captivity. This was their first experience. So they were happy. They were excited. Well, I'm telling you what, I I love when young people get excited about the things of God and about church. But, well, I'm telling you, sometimes I just want to sit and weep and think, man, I wish you'd have been there when. I mean, we can't even have a three-day revival. There's times when there was two-week revivals and we wanted more. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. But we don't see the glory anymore. Even in that second temple, God's glory did not occupy it. Moreover, there is no record of the shimmering, luminous glory ever again occupying an earthly building. Read it with me. God had transferred. Help me now, everybody. You got your notes in front of you. God had transferred the rulership of the world out of the hands of Israel, his chosen family, and placed it in the hands of the The times of the Gentiles had begun. Israel would no longer be a main player on the main stage of the world. It would be completely Gentile until the return of Christ. And guess what? It's been that way. It's been that way. Uh, The sovereignty and the rulership of the earth now would lie in the hands of great Gentile powers until the time of Christ. In the dream that we just read about, is God showing this king, he's using a wicked king, a a pagan king, to give us a history of the Gentile rulership, power, their reign on this earth until the return of Christ. Now, do you kind of understand what the times of the Gentiles mean? There was a time when the nation of Israel was powerful. There was a time when they were mighty. There was a time 
when they were so privileged because they had the manifest glory presence and dwelling of God in God's city, on God's mountain, in God's house. But because of their sin and rebellion and disobedience, God's glory departed. God's manifest presence departed. The temple was destroyed. The city was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. And God says, it's the times of the Gentiles. And it began, and it began with King Nebuchadnezzar. From this point on, from this point on, God says everything All power on earth, all the main stage, all the main players will now not be Jewish or Israeli, but Gentiles. And Jesus called this the times of the Gentiles. Are y'all following me so far? Let's see what we have. Number one, we see the description and we got to hurry because y'all wasn't listening fast enough. And and we're... We, ooh, I got a lot more than what we got time for, so we got to hurry. Write this down. The description, we see the golden empire. <clears throat> Just write that down and listen fast, okay? The image head was a fine gold. Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, thou art this head of gold. Gold describes the kingdom of Babylon. Herodotus, Herodotus the historian, visited Babylon about 90 years after the heir of Nebuchadnezzar. And in his history, he says that he never saw in the earth such abundance and proliferation of gold as he saw in Babylon. He describes the chapels, the temples, the altars, their, their vessels, the everything else that pertained to the life and worship of the Babylonians. The historian writes that there was so much of what he saw was made out of solid gold. In this empire. Think about this. It was the purpose of Nebuchadnezzar to build a golden city. He wanted to sit on a golden throne. As we shall see in Daniel chapter 4 when we get there, he did it triumphantly. In that chapter, we shall find Nebuchadnezzar boasting of the tremendous empire and the golden city that he had created. Is it not a strange thing how history flows? Nebuchadnezzar thought, watch this, this is so good. Nebuchadnezzar thought that great golden city and kingdom was for himself. But actually what he didn't realize is he had built a schoolhouse in which God's captive people were taught lessons. They have never forgotten and do remember to this day. He had built a prison house in which God chastened and judged his people. Now watch this, watch this. When the holy purpose of God had been accomplished, what is that? To chasten his people to teach them a lesson and correct them and give the land the time for their, the land Sabbath, which was, do y'all know how long that empire lasted? 70 years. Are y'all with me? In other words, God put it all together to bring his children and put them there So they would not farm the land. The land would get its Sabbath. The land would get its rest and they would get their whooping. Their chastening. And when the land Sabbath was up, he was through with Nebuchadnezzar and his son and grandson. 
Are y'all with me? Do y'all not see that Nebuchadnezzar is just a puppet? He's thinking he's this great and mighty warrior king, this great empire builder, and he's just a puppet in the hand of God. God's just using him as a belt to chasten his children. And when God was done, he was done. The second is the silver kingdom. The silver kingdom. The breast and the arms of silver represent the Medo-Persian empire. Daniel said, after thee, and he's talking, you remember he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. Two, chapter 2, verse 39. What he said in the Aramaic original text is, after thee shall arise another kingdom downward from thee or earthward from thee. That is down on the image. In all of Semitic language, the word silver is the same word for money. Now watch this. The Medo-Persian kingdom developed a vast system of taxation and those taxes were paid in, guess what? Silver. Silver. Because of this arrangement, Medo-Persian kings gathered together vast hordes of silver money. The treasures comprised the sinews of war. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 2, Daniel will prophesy that one of the Persian kings will be far richer, talking about Xerxes, who inherited tremendous silver hoardings of his father Darius and of other Persian kings. Is God accurate or is God accurate? Listen, what's the next one? Bronze, bronze, brass, bronze. The belly and the thighs of the vast image were of brass. Josephus, the historian Josephus in his book, The Antiquities, recounting this prophecy in Daniel. He immediately recognized that the brass is a reference to the Greek empire. It is easy. It is easy to imagine what an astonishing impression that the Greeks must have made upon the civilized world. Consider the contrast between their soldiers and the soldiers of the Persian army. Remember, they came after the Persians. Now, if you used to see, look at the Persian soldier, uh, he would, he would be, he would be dressed way different on his head would have been a soft turban-like covering. He would have been clothed with a tunic with sleeves and with trousers full and long. And that would have been the Medo-Persian soldier. But when you saw the Greek soldier, he would have had on his head a helmet of brass and on his body a breastplate of brass. And before him, he would be carrying a shield of brass and a sword of brass. That is why the classic writers of ancient days will refer to the brazen-coated Greeks. Brass became a sign and symbol of Greek conquest and of the Greek empire. Church say amen. Amen. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to fathom how, how cool this is and how powerful this is because we know it's already happened. But none of this is taking place when Daniel's writing it. God is predicting all of this and it happened exactly how God said it would happen. Church say amen. Amen. All right, we've got the gold, which represented Babylon. All right, say it with me. The gold represented Babylon. The silver represented the Medo-Persian, right? The, The bronze, the brass represented the Greek, we know that's Alexander the Great. And we're going to go into more detail with him. We're, we'll see uh, it, Daniel even gets more specific in, in calling out uh, Alexander the Great and, and the speed that they were able to do what they did. All right. 
And then let's look at the iron, the iron legs of Rome. <clears throat> the brass thighs are followed by legs of iron. Anybody who studied any history at all, you, you remember hearing about the iron legions of Rome. Daniel pointedly emphasized the strength of that empire, Rome. Uh, you could count, you could count numbers of times. He used the word iron in this short passage and discovered that he used it 14 times. Josephus, likewise, as he wrote of this prophecy in Daniel, stressed the tremendous strength of this last kingdom. Josephus said that Daniel addressed the king of Babylon with these words. The head of gold denotes thee and the kings of Babylon that have been before thee. But the two hands and the arms signify this. Now that keeping this is this is uh, 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 this is Josephus putting it in his own words that your government shall be dissolved by two kings, the Medo-Persian Cyrus and Darius. After them, another king shall come from the west armed with brass and shall destroy that government. We know that was Alexander the Great in the Greek Empire. Then another kingdom shall be like unto iron, shall put an end to the power of the former and shall have dominion over all the earth on account of the nature of iron, which is stronger than that of gold and silver and brass. The kingdom is to be an iron kingdom. The metals used here in that image is sinned. In strength, as silver is stronger than gold, and as brass is stronger than silver, and iron is strongest of all. Excuse me. As you can see in this sweep of human history, each kingdom is built upon the ruins of the former kingdom. The Medo-Persian kingdom is built on the ruins of the Babylonian, and the Greek kingdom is built on the ruins of the Medo-Persian. The last kingdom, the Roman Empire, is built on the ruins of all of them. That ascendancy in strength from silver to brass to iron is found. Also, in the duration of the empires, the Babylonian Empire lasted 70 years. The Medo-Persian Empire lasted 200 years. The Greek Empire lasted 130 years. But the Roman Empire lasted 500 years in its undivided state. In its divided state, it lasted in the east until 1453 when the Turks overwhelmed the capital city of Constantinople or Constantinople, the Western division of that Roman empire has continued down through the nations of Europe to this present day. We are part of the Greco-Roman civilization divided up into those 10 toes of the colossal image. Preacher, why didn't you put, why didn't you put a fifth one there and talk about, because it's the Roman empire has not been ruined yet. Not completely. It is still smoldering. And it will be revived. I, I, I started putting together some information still on my computer. And I know I wouldn't have time to get to it. Uh, but it's, it's different, different evidence that we see of, of world leaders. And I'm, we'll name them. World leaders who have mentioned reviving the Roman Empire, the European Union and all the things that are there. There's going to be a confederation of 10 kings. Those 10 toes represents those 10 kings. Uh, in, in later on in Daniel, we'll find the 10 horns. And one of the horns will, will stand forward. We know he's going to be the Antichrist. Are y'all with me? And so that's going to be a whole nother study that's going to be awesome to get to. But anyway, anyway, let's look, let's finish these up real quick and we'll, we'll get to that. All right. So basically this is God saying this is going to be the Gentile rule of the world. From the time that, that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem till Jesus returns, everything on this earth is going to be run by Gentiles. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, now, number two, we see the description. Number two, look at the decline. Look at the decline. This is so important. 
We start with gold. We start with gold and we end with clay. It just declines and declines and declines and declines. Now, God wanted God wanted to rule and be in charge. God wanted to guide and lead and rule and and pour out his blessings upon this earth through the nation of Israel. But we know how everything has happened. And God says, okay, I'm going to let you have your way. And these Gentiles have been ruling. And guess what? Every single thing that man touches declines. They may rise, but they always Every civilization, every empire, everything that man has had its hands in has fallen, has fallen. What, what has declined, preacher? Well, four, four things I want you to write down. First, national life. National life. This is nations. Nations have come and nations have gone. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, there's been greater nations in America that's come and gone. I, I, we we got to be careful. We got to be careful that we, we, we don't allow our patriotism to overlook the fact that it's still run by man. I believe it's been blessed. I believe God's hand's been on this country and put this country together. But I believe this country's turned its back on God. And, and, and I believe, I believe we're paying for it. And I believe the judgment of God is coming on America. But listen, nations will rise, but nations will fall. You know why? Because they're run by men, Gentiles too, but men. We see national life is in decline. Social life is in decline. This is individuals. This is individuals. You ever sit back and just remember when? Remember when you didn't need glasses? Yeah, when I can remember it. That's a good one, Miss Diane. That's a good one. I remember that time I used to could remember it. I heard, a, I heard a doctor say one time, the moment you're born, you begin to die. You begin to die. National life, nations are in decline. Social life, individuals are in decline. Home life. The family unit is so, such a bad shape today. And I wish I could say it was only in the, in the world People going to church every day just splitting and cheating and committing adultery and swapping. Some of the saddest things I see driving down the road or seeing at a gas station where two cars are parked and neither one will get out, but the kid has to get out of here and get into this one. And I'm not, I'm not. I'm not judging anybody. I know stuff happens. It's life. I'm just trying to tell you that the home is in decline. 
to struggle. And, I'm, I, and, and, and for you that's never been through it, the last person that wants to go through it is the people going through it. And be careful about judging the people going through it because the home life, family life, it's just disintegrating. Man, I, 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 I used, one of the, my favorite things in, in life was Thanksgiving. You'd think as a kid it'd be Christmas. But Thanksgiving, all the family would gather together at, on my mom's side at, at one of their houses. Most of the time it was either my grandmother's house or one of my uncle's houses or, or whatever. And, and everybody would come. And, and, you know, back then, our parents back then, they had a bunch of youngins. Now they only got one or two. But when they had a bunch of young, you got a bunch of aunts and uncles and you got a bunch of cousins. And then when you all show up, you a crowd. Say amen. Yeah. Man, what? Man, I can't. Just unbelievable memories and fun and joy. And it's like tons of them are in heaven or, or gone. Or, and people just don't do that anymore. And we're living in a world that's declining. That's in regression. National life, social life, home life. How about this? All life. Creation is in a mess. We've just about destroyed our planet. All life. But, 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 but. Look at the verses. 1 Corinthians seven thirty one. This is what I think God's trying to teach us here. And they that use this world is not abusing it. Read it with me. For the fashion of this world. First John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world. And the world. Ladies and gentlemen, everything you see is passing away. Preacher, I just bought a brand new car. Well, guess what? The moment them tires hit that pavement, you lost value. It depreciated immediately. And guess what? It's going to rust too. That new smell don't last too long. That's why you got to buy it in a spray. What happens to brand new houses when you don't attend to them? What happens to a perfectly good fruit tree if you just leave it alone? It turns into a scrub. Now see, evolutionists and scientists will tell you that man is going up. But God's saying, no, you're not. You leave anything to itself and it's going to decline. You, you go to some of these cities, you go to some of the, hey, go to some cities that a highway used to run through it. And now there's a super highway a couple miles away. That city's a ghost town. Grass growing up through the street. Y'all with me? God is saying, don't, don't put too much stock in this earth. Don't, don't, get, don't get so tied up with this planet that you forget. Don't lay your treasures here because it's passing 
away. You know why Jesus could walk around and have nowhere to lay his head? He knew this is all temporary. Everything you see is temporary. Everything we have is temporary. Don't get bent out of shape with the things that's going on. Trust in the God who knows. And all God's people see it. Let me write this down quick, quick. Write this down. This, this statue is teaching us that everything of this world is passing away. That gold looks shiny, but then it turned to silver. Then it turned to brass. Then it turned to iron. Then it turned to clay. That is humanity. That is anything that man puts his hands to always declines. Number three, the determination. Write that down quickly. The determination. Three things, three things. And then I'm going to give you three other things that is not there. You don't have to write it down, but you need to. God determines the power of humanity. God determines the power of humanity. He told, Daniel told that king before he told him his, his, uh, his dream. He said, you need to understand God gave you this. You didn't, you didn't get this power all by yourself. God determines who is in power and who is not in power. The Bible says in Daniel 4, 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent, to the intent that the living may know that the most high, what? Ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. Why? Because God determines the power of humanity. God determines the path of humanity. God determines the path of humanity. God determined the Babylonians to conquer Jerusalem. God determined the Medes and the Persians to conquer the Babylonians. God determined the Greeks to come, uh, Alexander the Great, and conquer the Medes and Persians. God intended and he planned and it executed that the Romans would conquer the Greeks. God determines it. Say it with me. He determines the power of humanity, determines the, the path of humanity, and he determines the plight of humanity. He determines the plight of humanity. Preacher, what are you saying? The stone's coming. That's kind of spooky. I ain't going to lie. I don't know whose phone is that. Is that your phone? That's like, that's like, that's like the ringing of the bells. And it happened right after I said the rock is coming. God planned that. All right, so what do we take from that? 29 seconds. If you want to write this down, you can. What do I'm, I, I'm telling you what I'm leaving with. This is what I'm leaving with. God knows what's going to happen. God knows when it's going to happen. And God is in control of what's going to happen. God knows what's going to happen. God knows when it's going to happen. Because it, once we get to the end of Daniel, you're going to find out that he specifically lays out the very time and birth of the Messiah. I mean, to the day. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And we'll get to that. That's going to be really cool. God is in control of what's going to happen. So preacher, what does that do for you? It gives me peace 
It gives me peace and comfort because he's in control. 